I talked last week about Saul persecuting the church and that Saul eventually became the apostle Paul. And so we're deep into the book of Acts now. I've jumped ahead a little bit. We're deep into the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 16. And, and Paul is out preaching the gospel. He's working with this team of leaders. And eventually he gets arrested. He gets arrested. And he gets tossed in prison. So let's look at Acts chapter 16. And for, the, for a, a bit of the thought, we're, we're going to read from verse 11, just to get the whole thought for you here. From Troas, and this is Luke writing. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So if you know your, your maps of Eastern Europe and you know Greece, Philippi would be in the Northern regions and what they called in that day, Macedonia. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth, which was a, you know, a high-end, high-end cloth. And she was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, where when she, pardon me, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So you see this first family, this first home being affected with the gospel. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money from her owners uh, by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. It's interesting that a woman possessed by an evil spirit is telling them that these are the messengers of God, but that's what's going on here. She kept this up for many days. Finally, and I'm not sure why Paul waited so long. Paul doesn't seem to me like a guy that waits. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, interesting, right? Not to the woman, said to the Spirit, said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners, when her owners, right, because she was making money, but not for herself. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into stocks. In other words, they weren't going anywhere. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now he's gonna kill himself because he doesn't wanna face his bosses. That, the, that all of the prisoners got out. So his thinking is, if I kill myself, this will be a lot quicker than if I leave it to my bosses. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. In this short passage of scripture, you've got two households that are, seems like, completely affected with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that many people come to be saved. The first household is Lydia's. And what's going on there is, Paul would often look for a synagogue in these cities in order to go to preach the gospel, to get a foothold, to start talking about Jesus. But in some cities like Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue. And in those days, there had to be X number of men. The Jewish uh, people could not establish a synagogue unless there was a certain number of men. And I forget the number now. I don't know if it's 8, 10, or 12, or whatever it is. But somebody give me a number. 10? I'll take that. 10. And so you had to have a certain number of men in order to establish a Jewish synagogue. But because that wasn't available those that were Jews would find a place somewhere outside of the city to meet and to pray and to worship. And so that's what's going on here. On the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate. He was looking for the small crowd of Jews. He found where their prayer meeting was, and then he began to talk about Jesus. Lydia gets saved, and eventually through Lydia, her whole household gets saved. Then we move along, and Paul is preaching the gospel. He gets tossed into prison. The jailer thinks that his world's about to come to end. But at the end of it all, it eventually ends up that his whole household gets saved. And so we read this in Acts chapter 16, and we think, wouldn't this be wonderful that if our whole households got saved? And people read chapter 16, and they, they, they focus on Lydia, and they focus on the Philippian jailer, and they, they, they pray the prayer. They, hey, Father, as, as, as Lydia's household got saved, and as the, the Philippian jailer's household got saved, I'm praying the same thing for my family as well, that the whole household gets saved. And we all said, amen. we all said Amen. I don't think there's any one of us in this room that would say anything otherwise than it would be our desire for our whole family to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And so on 
a family day Sunday, and tomorrow is family day, and I realize that family day for some of you means nothing in the sense that you still got to go to work tomorrow and you're not able to do anything that's kind of family-oriented, or you may think, you know what, my family's a little dysfunctional right now, and I'm not sure I could even celebrate family day because things in our family right now aren't that great. I understand there's all kinds of personal dynamics But I think one thing that is true through it all is that we would love to see all of our families saved. And so that'll be the focus. This morning we'll talk about this and of course tonight we're gonna pick that up again and and pray for others as well. But the jailer says this in verse 30. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas together say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, sometimes this verse is misunderstood, that it's some kind of guarantee of salvation for everybody in their house. Because you see that in verse 31. If you just take it at face value, you don't look into any of the language or, or that. You just believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And hey, Philippian jailer, because you will be saved, your whole household will be too. Now, the interesting thing is that's what's happened. His household does get saved. But, but Paul and Silas weren't saying this, that because you're saved, automatically, I guarantee you that your whole family will be saved. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at what the phrase says. So it's not a guarantee, but it's a very strong reminder of what can happen in our family and what we should pray for. So let me, I've written this out for you to make sure that you, you grasp it as best as we can and that you understand that it's not an absolute guarantee. But, but there is the hope here that if we're faithful in sharing the good news with our family, that they too might believe. The phrase believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, in the Greek shows us this, that the word believe is in the singular, only the jailer. So believe singular, only the jailer in the Lord Jesus and you singular, only the jailer will be saved. You, again, meaning singular, the jailer and your household, everyone else who believes in his house. So when he's speaking about you being saved here, he's talking strictly about the jailer himself, who, by the way, it's amazing that all this goes on, but we're we're never given a name for him. But he says, you believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So believe is in the singular in the Greek, only for the jailer in the Lord Jesus and you, plural, everyone in his house will be saved is a decision not of the jailers, but of their own. So it's basically breaking it down for us like this in the Greek. The you here refers to the singular. So if I said to Adam, you need to walk over there, I'm only talking to Adam, just singular. But we know that you sometimes can mean other things. But, but you, sometimes we say, use guys, right? No such word, by the way, use guys, no such word. But when it's talking about and all of your household, Paul and Silas here aren't saying that it's some kind of you know, guarantee to this Philippian jailer that, that his salvation is, the, is, is going to absolutely guarantee that everybody else in his home will be saved. It simply means this, you've made a decision now for yourself. Now there's the opportunity for everybody else in their home to make a decision for themselves. But, 
the gist of this is that now that the jailer has been saved, there's a catalyst for this. Now you, singular, are gonna have the opportunity to share your faith, singular, with everybody in your household, plural, and they will have the opportunity to make Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not if you get saved, they will too. I mean, I wish that was true. I wish it was, well, because I'm saved, everybody in my family's gonna be saved, but, but that's not what he's saying here. He is simply going to become now the catalyst if he's faithful with the gospel message to share that good news. And we know that that happens almost immediately and it's wonderful. But we also know that that is not necessarily normative for the rest of us. I remember when I first got saved, and I can remember this like it was yesterday. When I first gave my heart to the Lord that the first thing I prayed every night before I went to bed was I prayed for everybody in my family who wasn't saved. And that was a lot of people, and that took a while. And I didn't say big, long prayers, but I remember specifically mentioning everyone that was close to me by name. So I didn't fill God in with all of their information and all of their problems and mistakes and sins and the background, because he's God. (laughs) He already knows all that stuff, right? I, I didn't do all of that. But I mentioned them by name because I just thought it was important to mention them by name. But one of the things that I noticed is that the longer I was saved, it didn't happen immediately, but the longer that I was saved, I tended to do that less frequently. And it's a strange thing, isn't it? I don't know if you found that to be true too. It was like when I first got saved, there was a really, uh, just such a strong passion to see other people come to know the Lord. But that as I kind of got into church life, there were other interests, there were other distractions, there were other things going on in the church, there were other things going on in my spiritual life. And I tended to focus more on my discipleship and my church life than, than praying for the lost. And I don't know if that was simply my fault or if it's, a, if, if it's the fault of how we do church. But regardless, it's a bad thing. Somehow or another, folks, we gotta keep the balance of, I need to keep growing in the things of God and learning more about the Bible and praying and using my spiritual gifts. But I need to make sure that it's not in a wagon behind me, but that it's, it's almost like a bag on my arm that I'm carrying something close to me all the time, that the saved go with us all the time that it doesn't matter how long we've been saved or how involved we are in church life or what we're doing for the body of Christ, that we don't forget those that still aren't saved. So the point here isn't that because the Philippian jailer got saved, automatically guaranteed everybody else in his family was gonna be saved. The point was this, that salvation is now available to everybody in his family because there's a messenger now. For us, I would say that this to you, that because you are saved now, there is a messenger in your family that can bring the news, the good news, to everybody else in your family about Jesus Christ. Even the ones you don't think would be open to it, God is still able. So I remember on my bed when I was first saved, all the way back in 1981, 1982, I would pray the list. I, got, I had a list. I, I didn't have a paper list. I had a mental list. 
And I would, and this is how I did it. I can still remember doing it. I would start with the oldest in my family. And at that time, it was my dad. My dad wasn't saved. Then I would pray for my brother, Brian, who is the firstborn and his wife. And he had a couple of kids. And then I would go through, you know, my sister, Faye, and then Bonnie, and then Karen, and then Barry, and I would work through. And then I had some friends that I was really tight with, and I would pray for them. And I can remember praying through the list. Any of you do that? Maybe you still do that? Yeah. I'd pray through the list. Again, nothing real long about them. I just kind of made sure that every night before I went to bed, God didn't forget my list. Because he's busy, right? He's a busy God. He's got a lot of things on his mind. And so I just wanted to make sure that my list was out in front of him and that he would remember that. And so I prayed the list. Now, one of the things I learned was that just because I got saved didn't mean that everybody in my family was necessarily gung-ho for Jesus. You find that too? What we found in our families is some people are actually um, not as thrilled about that message that we currently were. A little bit of pushback in some of that area. And as only family can, right? Family just tells you straight. Like when you're sharing with your friends, they're your friends, they care about the relationship, so they still want you as a friend even though you're into Jesus now. Family can take or leave you. You know, it's like, you weren't my idea anyways, you were mom and dad's idea. So now that you're into Jesus, that's just one more reason to think that there's just not something right about you. And, and the other thing about family is this. Family knows us. Like your friends don't know all, all the stuff about you, right? Like your family members saw you when you were raised from young all the way up. And they, they know your strengths and they know your weaknesses. They know some of your mistakes from the past, some mistakes from the present. They know a lot about you. So when you start talking to them about what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they, they, they put all of that information together and they're not sure if this is credible or not. Or if you've left a certain church to follow Jesus at another church, then they have real concerns about you. And not only do they not think that you're following Jesus, but now they feel like your soul is actually in great danger because you've left a certain church. And for the first time in their lives, they're praying for you. Because <laughs> you left the church. And so when you start witnessing to them about Jesus, they don't care about Jesus, you left the church. Jesus is a secondary thing, you left the church. And so it gets complicated. This is why we look at these passages and we're thrilled for Lydia and all the members of her household. And I think members there doesn't just represent necessarily family members. I think there were some servants in there that were part of her household. And we're thrilled for the Philippian jailer that all of his family got saved. But again, the passage isn't a guarantee that because you got saved, everybody's getting get saved. But it does mean this, that there's now a light in your household. There's a light in your family. And now there's the opportunity for people to get saved. Amen? If we do our due diligence. Like praying your list. I've got a picture there. Throw up the uh, Manitoulin transport. There we go. My brother Barry works for Manitou and Transport. So my brother Barry like hated school life. 
So I can remember going into grade nine. He was uh, two grades ahead of me. And I remember going into grade nine into Art Moore's math class. Where's my math teachers? Where's Grant? Oh, is he? Okay. And I remember sitting in the back of the room, you know, first, first day of school, and I'm sitting in the back of the room just trying to keep a low profile, and I had a much lower profile back then. <laughs> Thanks for getting that. And uh, my math teacher, Art Moore, I had Art several times. God bless him. I, I had him in calculus too. I think that's when he quit. Because I was like, I don't get that. How come that? How come that? How come that? I remember my friend Mike Bach said to me one day about God. He said, Brent, just quit thinking about it and just, just do it. But I think that might have been the end of Mark, Art Moore's career there. So I'm in Art Moore's class and he's, he's doing the names, last name first. And he says, Horner, Brent. And I'm like, here. And he kind of looks down at the back of the room and he says, any relation to Barry? <laughs> Brother, sir. And he did this very subtly, just. <laughs> so Barry didn't like school. This is going somewhere. Barry didn't like school. So um, Barry quit school when he was 16. He had his great age education. He quit school. He never finished high school. He quit when he was 16. This is back in the 70s. When parents said stuff like this, if you're not going to school, you're going to. So Barry went to a, a lumber camp in Missinabi, Ontario. Anybody know where Missinabi is? There you go, Tommy. Drive two hours north of Sudbury, hang a left in the middle of nowhere. That's Missinabi. So Barry worked there for a while, finally found that that wasn't fun and got working for tire companies. And through the tire company, eventually got himself a job at Manitoulin Transport at their main depot in Sudbury. So all he, he, doesn't, he doesn't change tires anymore. He's the, he's the exec now and he travels a lot to Alberta and he's wheeling and dealing with truck tires. So my little brother, who couldn't pass general math and only has a great education, is working at a really good job, tells me all of the time where he is out west. He, he emailed me not that long ago to say that uh, a company that he deals with flew him and somebody else to a nice northern camp way up north for some hunting and fishing. Yeah, he's making more money than I am. Little snot. <laughs> and he is a little snot. He's about that high. Tough as nails, though. Tough as nails. I could tell you some fight stories from high school, but not today. It's not that family day service, right? Anyways, he works for Manitoulin now. So Manitoulin never worked much down here in this neck of the woods. Tell about the last 10 years. You see their transports all the time. But up, up in the north, up in Sudbury, up where God lives, they're all over the place up there. So this is what I do, and my family knows this to be true. Every time I see a Manitoulin transport truck, and I see them all the time, what do I do now? I pray for Barry and his wife, Ina. I pray for Barry, and I pray for Ina. Now, I've, I've witnessed to him. He was at a really miserable part of his life years ago when his first marriage broke up, and I remember witnessing to him, and we thought he might take his life. Horners are armed. We got lots of guns. 
And we were, we were afraid. So even my dad asked if I would come and talk to him. And I can remember going into my old bedroom where, my, uh, where the homestead was. And I remember laying on the bed talking to my brother Barry who was distraught and in tears. And I remember talking to him about Jesus and he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. And it's how many years later now? 20, 25? He still wants nothing to do with Jesus. But every time I see a Manitoulin transport truck, I pray. All right? Move past the lists now. I don't really have a list anymore. But the Bible reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right, that we can pray without ceasing. And pray without ceasing doesn't necessarily mean that you're always mumbling a prayer, uh, you know, as you're working through your day. It just reminds you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we have an all-knowing and, and, and um, uh, like an all-everywhere God, right? Omnipresent God, that you and I can pray to him at any given moment of any given day about something that matters to us. And what matters to us more than our families, right? There's nothing that matters more to us than our families. So every time, and again, Karen's there. She'll say, when we're on the 401 and we're driving down the 401 and a truck goes by or there's one of them moving through the city of Windsor, I say, Barry and Ina, and I pray a short prayer. It doesn't seem like it's been very fruitful. But I see myself as a light in our home. Now, I'm thankful that there are other lights in our home now. There's others of us that are saved in the family now. But I see as myself as a light in the home, not because because I'm an ordained minister, not because I'm Reverend Horner. I want you to know family is awesome. They could care less that I'm Reverend Horner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally a term of endearment from my older brother is, hey, Rev, but that's about it. Like, they're not impressed, right? But I'm just their brother. I'm just their brother who loves them, right? Because I know all the warts and all about Barry. But despite all kinds of mistakes that he's made in his life, I love him. He's my brother. And so that's how you feel about your family members, whether it's your grandma and your grandpa, your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, maybe some cousins, I don't know, what, what, whatever, whatever the spread is. But we love them. We are so grateful that people have been saved. About, about half my family is saved now, immediate family. But there's still so many more that aren't. And so we keep on praying. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas weren't saying this to the Philippian jailer. You know, if you get saved, I can guarantee you that the rest of your family will be saved. He's not saying that. But he is saying this, because you are saved, there's now a light in your home whereby others can see and hear about Jesus Christ and perhaps others now can be saved as well. The opportunity is there now. So see yourself strategically, not just as someone that benefits personally because Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but see yourself as a light bearer in your home. Do your best to be a godly consistent witness in your home. Try not to do anything too crazy that scares them away. But try to be a godly, consistent witness in your home, first and foremost, praying for them. But as the Spirit leads, sharing the gospel as well as you can. And this is what we do, folks. We leave the results to God. One person plants, one waters, and sometimes others reap the harvest. So 
We don't always know where we're at in the stage, but God's in charge of it all.